Welcome to Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. This podcast is sponsored by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network and True North Homeschool Academy. True North Homeschool Academy offers K through 12th grade classes via live online instruction. Our classes are dynamic, interactive, affordable, and fun. This month, we're focusing on integrity on the podcast. Integrity has to do with understanding and being true to the person you've been created to be. To come alongside you in this, we offer academic advising, which includes credit evaluation, transcript to date, and a personalized learning plan based on your students' gifts, interests, and abilities. We'll help you problem solve the college debt crisis, creatively brainstorm career and scholarship possibilities and strategies that you can implement while your students are still in high school, give you curriculum and activity suggestions, and offer ongoing support. In addition to our advising program, We'll be offering a half-credit, one-semester orienteering course for 8th through 12th graders this fall, led by Cindy Brumbarger of Apprentice University. This course will help students identify the intersection of passions, interests, and the necessity of work. Students will explore the difference between work and career and how it fits into their personal pathway. Students will learn how they learn, as well as identify their strengths and weaknesses using a multitude of assessments. They'll identify spheres of possibility instead of just a single job or career. Students will leave this class with a personal pathway based on their strengths, interests, passions, and giftings paired with real-world career exploration. Because taking a few tests or surveys in college and career planning just leaves you standing alone and wondering what happens next. Our academic advising program and our orienteering class are both designed to give you the tools you need to strategize for success, however that may look. We're joined today by our friend, Rabbi Pesek Walicki, who is traveling in the United States, as he frequently does, on a trip from Israel. And I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. Um, you are here to talk about parenting. You're the proud dad of eight kids, right? And, eight uh, kids, four eight boys kids. and four girls. Perfect. How'd you work that out? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, God was good to us. It, it yeah. was especially good to us that we had three out of the first four were girls, and they're very helpful. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, yeah, you have some great insight. I've sat in on several Bible studies that you've done on various topics, and so I'm really curious what you have to share about parents. The, the Hebrew word for parent is hore. So parents, plural, is horim. Um, and, and what's interesting about that is that the root of the word, you know, Hebrew words are always made up of roots. The root of the Hebrew word for parent is identical to the root for teacher. So ju I'll just say the two words, the word for teacher and the word for parent, and you'll see the word for, for teacher is moreh, and the word for, for parent is hore. It's the same word. Uh, and, and that itself is very interesting. And it, it, what it speaks to is that, is that parenting, fundamentally, the role of parenting is not just the genetic role in, in, in the act of fertility of having the child, but the role of a parent, the definition of parenting is really that of teaching and instructing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's, uh, you know, that's, that sets a tone. It sets a certain perspective that uh, you know that's very important that parents have to see themselves in a role of uh in an educational role in a teaching role mm -hmm. right it it kind of changes things in the same way understanding um discipline comes from discipleship right oh yeah. that's a very good point exactly 
a lot of mistakes people make in parenting uh, or you know misguided parenting can come from the fact that people get neglectful and they, they don't want to take on the burden of being in a teaching role all the time. People, you know, they want to take it easy and they don't want to always be, you know, um, you know, alert to the fact that they're teaching their children. And we teach our children with everything we do. It's not just in the act of, uh, you know, you know, having a conversation or instructing them or teaching them some information. But in, in our very behavior, we're always teaching our children. We know that, you know, kids emulate their parents. They look at their parents as role models. And, uh, and, and they learn from us whether we like it or not. It's not <laughs> like we decide not to be teachers. We're going to be teaching them something. We'll either be teaching them the right things or we'll be teaching them the wrong things. But parents are teachers, and that's really reflected in the Hebrew. So how do you uh, see people who just get worn out from teaching all the time? I mean, you know, it gets <laughs> hard having people look at you all the time and learning from you whether you want them to be or not. You know, parenting is, though, you know, parenting is, I like to think of parenting as going in stages. You know, um, when you're parenting small children, it's one kind of instruction. And when you're parenting older kids, kids as they get into their teenage years or their, and as they start becoming young adults, that's a, that's a very different kind of parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and it requires a real shift in attitude, you know, so you know, the type of teaching that's appropriate is different in different environments and different situations. I guess if I was to give it a kind of one-liner, I would say it, I would say it this way, that when we're parenting very small children, the position that we're in is very similar to ownership. We're making all the choices. We're making all the decisions. We're kind of herding them into, you know, getting them to do what they have to do. We don't necessarily have to explain everything to them. We just have to make sure that we make all the right decisions and they're not in a decision-making capacity at all. Mm-hmm. So it's very much like ownership. Right. And there's a transition that we have to go through where we're no longer in a position of ownership and we instead transition into a position of leadership. Ownership and leadership are very different. and and it, and I've seen so many parents, you know, I spent, uh, I spent a number of years in education dealing with students who had, uh, in, a, in a seminary who had just finished high school. They were 18, 19 years old. And I got to know their parents as well. And I found that so often um, there would be parents, you know, there's different kinds of mistakes parents make. There's, you know, our stereotype of bad parents are parents who are neglectful. There's also parents who who aren't neglectful, but they kind of overparent. Mm. I guess a way to put it in these terms is that they've never let go of the ownership role, and they've never transitioned into the leadership role. Owner and and you know if you hold on to the ownership role longer than you should, that's where we end up with situations of tension and rebellion, or or kids who just don't know how to make their own decisions. And, and and that's not what we want for our kids, you know. And and I think that that transition from ownership to leadership, not only does it have to happen, but I hate to tell people it actually has to happen a little earlier than we think. You know, kids kids want to be empowered, and they want to and they want to know that their parents trust them and respect them, and and that's and and that becomes a leadership kind of role. That's a healthy way to think about it. So what age do you think most parents should should transition and how would you suggest that happen? 
like I said, I think it happens a lot younger than we like to think. Um, I think it's, I think it really happens around the age of, uh, you know, 10, 11 years old, maybe 12 years old. It's a, it's a pretty young age. If you think about kids, you know, kids are already interpreting the world. They're already making judgments about things and they already want to assert themselves at a pretty young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of parents who, who they end up pushing back on that, you know, pretty early and, and, uh, and that can last for a while. You can win those battles for a while, uh, but there's a lot of winning the short-term battle and losing the long-term battle. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if, if we try to assert our ownership over our children, mm-hmm. you know, beyond the right age, how exactly to do it? I think it has to do a lot with listening to them and uh, any decision that there is that we are open to them being involved in. We have to empower them and let them be involved in it. Encourage them to be involved. Of course, there are decisions that we're not going to allow them to be involved in, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But where possible, we have to get them into the habit of of having a share in the decisions. We have to look for openings mm-hmm. where they can have a share in the decision. Uh, really, you know, allow that, you know, allow room for their own autonomy as early as possible, and let them know that we respect them. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it, it's not easy. It's not easy. A lot of parents, especially, you know. A, our world has, you know, there's a lot of threatening things in our world, uh, you know, especially people who are coming from a faith-based value system. There's a lot of uh, threatening things in the society, and we want to protect our children. And out of a desire to protect them, you know, we want to, you know, circle the wagons and make all the decisions and, and, and keep all the bad things out. But, uh, you know, here's another way to look at it. There's two types of organisms in the world. There are organisms that have a spine, mm-hmm. and there are organisms that live inside a shell. And, mm-hmm. you know, the question is, what do you want for your kids? Do you want them to have a spine, or do you want them to live inside a shell? And, you know, organisms that live, live inside a shell, when you take away their shell, they die. Yeah. And, you know, every, every, everyone, everyone who lives in a shell is going to lose their shell at some point. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I think the, uh, you know, thinking about parenting as a leadership uh, type of role more than as an ownership role is uh, is challenging, but I think it's really uh, I think it's really what's necessary in order to, in order to have that healthy relationship as we go forward um, as we go forward into adulthood with our kids. Right, that that is a really powerful metaphor. The whole you you have a spine or you have a shell. A lot of our listeners are evangelical Christian homeschoolers. And I think that traditionally the homeschool world has been really a circle your wagon kind of thing. Um, and, and it is hard to find places that feel really safe for your kids. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't always have to be with some heavy discussion or some heavy decision. You can already set a tone. You know, kids want to be respected. I think that's the key. Yeah. I'll just give you an example. I'll give you an example of a common type of situation. You know, in, in my home uh, on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, you know, you know, Friday night on the Jewish Sabbath, we'll sit around the table and we'll always discuss the weekly Torah portion. You know, the weekly section of the biblical reading that we're doing. And 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 even though in the Christian context you don't have a system of particular sections for each week, I'm sure that many of uh, many of your listeners, uh, starting at a young age, will have discussions of biblical passages with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do that, there's a tendency that we have as parents that we already have a kind of punchline lesson in our pocket that we want to get to. We already have an inter- 
information that we're that we're waiting to share with them. So what we'll do, and this is a kind of typical situation. You know, we'll read the passage, or we'll have the kid read the passage, or I'll read the passage, and we'll ask the child what they think, and we'll get a little discussion going. But really, we're just having the discussion in order to lead up to the point we want to make. Now that works fine when the kids are very, very young. But what starts to happen, kids aren't stupid. And they have their own thoughts. And if you start having a conversation with them about a biblical passage, and every single time you have a conversation with them about a biblical passage, their own ideas end up being overshadowed by your interpretation, it's going to get to a point where they feel like their own ideas aren't so valuable. Mm -hmm. Because every time, you know, so you ask them what they think, and they tell you what they think, and then you say, okay, but what I think, and then you give a whole speech, you give your kids a sermon. So I think an interesting exercise that we could do as parents, and I've done this with my kids, and, 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 and it really has a long-term effect, is present a biblical passage to them, ask them for their interpretation of it, and then just leave it at that. Mm. Don't correct it or give your own and just say, wow, that's great, and maybe even just paraphrase their interpretation back to them and just allow their interpretation to be the one that stands. Mm -hmm. It gives them a sense that they've been respected. And then maybe even a day or two later, you could say to them, you know, I've been thinking about what you said, and it was a really nice interpretation. I really like what you said. Mm -hmm. Just allow them to have ownership of their own interpretation of a piece of scripture. Right. You know, that's the kind of, this is an example of a kind of dynamic. And it's hard for parents to do because we have some lesson we want to teach our kids. But you know what? Save the lesson for a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Allow that conversation to end with them stating their view and winning the day. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you ask them a question about a piece of scripture. So nine times out of 10, we have an answer in our back pocket that we're waiting to say. Hold back. Just let them say their own answer and let that be the answer. You know, they'll feel respected. Yeah, that's fantastic. But really what you're talking about is talking about important, deep things with your kids. And really having the unknown be part of the discussion or the, I mean, not the unknown, everybody has an opinion, but that there doesn't have to be an answer for certain or the right answer or whatever, but you're dialoguing with your kids about deep, important things. Right. And they don't have to be sitting there the whole time waiting for, you know, because they're going to figure it out very quickly that, okay, this is all an excuse for my mom or my dad to tell me what they want to tell me. But if you allow the conversation to really honestly be open-ended and allow them to share their own view and, and let them know that you've learned from them, you show them that you, you honestly respect their opinion and you really mean it, mm -hmm. then they're going to respect your opinion when, you know, when it counts. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's, I can't stress how important this is. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's really about learning to talk with your kids from way younger than yeah. we would normally think about as a give and take kind of relationship. One of the most important things in terms of having a context to talk to our kids is actually making sure that in the routine of our lives, that context really exists in a way that's enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, you know, because if you sit your kid down and say, okay, now we're going to discuss the Bible. It's like, okay, you know, the kid might start rolling their eyes. They might have something else they'd rather do. And I think this is where, you know, maybe Christians have something that they could learn from, from the Jewish community. Of, you know, of really having, you know, we have a Sabbath, we have Shabbat. And on the Sabbath, starting Friday night at sundown until Saturday night at sundown, 
No one goes anywhere. No one's working. The TV isn't on. The computer's not on. The cell phones are off. And and that has to do with a lot of you know restrictions on the law that we're following. But the result of it is that we have this time where people are really just with their families. And there's this time together. Now, I'm not advocating that Christians should start following the Jewish Sabbath, but to take a lesson from it and say, okay, there has to be some time that is sacred, that the outside world is kind of turned off, you know? And and if it's, you know, I, I know a lot of Christians who've started doing just, you know, Friday night dinner, just, just have, or have one night a week where, Everyone turns off their cell phone and the family has dinner together, you know, and just spending that time. It's really, I've always uh, been fond of, of, of the order, looking at this in the context of the order of the Ten Commandments. You know, the fourth commandment is the commandment to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, to have sacred time. If you read the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, it really talks about the Sabbath as dedicated to the Lord. And, and we're honoring the Sabbath day. We're not working, and, and we're and we're keeping it holy. But what's the commandment right after that one? The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. You know, and and I've always thought to myself that it's such a beautiful transition. That the first few commandments, the first four commandments, are all about God. And when we hit the fourth commandment, and it's telling us that the way we honor God is by setting aside sacred time. The very next commandment is honoring is children honoring their parents. The you know I think the Bible set it, sets it up that way to tell us that when you have sacred time, the result is that you're going to have a stronger relationship between parents and children. So define sacred time in that term. What I, what I mean is, I mean very simply, the opposite of sacred is mundane. You know, and, and it's very simple. It's just not mundane time. You, you know, the Bible tells us that, you know, that on the Sabbath, we're not supposed to do any work. It doesn't tell us exactly what work is. We got to figure it out. So we have a, you know, in our Jewish tradition, we have an interpretation of what that means. But even if you just look at the simple text of the Bible, it means that you're not working. It means that the outside world and your regular everyday life fades into the background. And, and it's not what you're involved in. Right. You know, it, you know, I think that uh, if you go back a few generations, Sunday used to be treated with a greater uh, sanctity and a greater reverence than it is today among Christians. I say that, you know, as an outsider who, who observes my Christian friends, and I don't think Sunday is what it used to be. And I think because of, of our televisions and our computers and our Internet and our phones and our shopping, uh, I think that, that we don't really have that sacred time anymore. I think the family, you know, the fabric of the family, of the relationships between parents and children really depend on it, mm -hmm. you know, to have time where, you know, just like when we, you know, entering into the temple, the rest of the world is closed off. You're, you're now in an intimate place with the Lord. So we have to have that with our families as well, where the rest of the world is not bombarding us, that the TV is off, the internet is off, everyone's phone gets turned off, mm -hmm. and, have, and have a meal together. Once and make it a routine, once a week, mm -hmm. and everyone and everyone you know make it a ritual. Everyone takes out their phone and turns it off and puts it on the side. And we're not available for the next hour and a half or two hours. And we're going to have dinner together and just talk, right? And let everyone share something, you know, some challenge they had during the week and how they dealt with it, or something they learned during the week. 
and have everyone just share meaningful, you know, you know, and, and even if your kids roll their eyes the first time you do it, they'll get used to it and they'll love it. And you'll end up having this context in life just to, you know, to laugh and, and, and talk. And even if you don't have a deep conversation every time, you're just you're just connecting with each other, being with each other. That's that's what I considered sacred time, where the things that are that are mundane in life are just not what we're dealing with. We talk about family meals. This is like <laughs> the fourth time it's come up in the in this short podcast we've had and just how important they are. But when we've had single friends over to share meals with us, they always comment on how rare it is for them to sit down at a table in a home and eat with other people and the fellowship and the meaningfulness it is to them that it's just really profound. It touches them in a deep way that going to a restaurant doesn't really do. I mean, people took time to prepare food and they made a space in their life for each other, which is so simple and yet so meaningful. It's powerful. There's a big difference between doing something on a weekly basis and doing something occasionally. You know, if you do something only on Thanksgiving or only on Christmas, it's the only time you have a meal together, that's not a lifestyle. If you do something once a year, that doesn't change your lifestyle. It's just a unique event. Mm -hmm. If you do something every single week, it becomes part of the rhythm of your life. It affects you in a different way. So, you know, again, taking a lesson from the biblical Sabbath, you know, it's every single week. It's not a holiday that comes up once a year. You know, no one's life is transformed by something that's done very occasionally. Our life is transformed when we have routines that are meaningful. Uh, and that's where the whole culture of our family can be transformed. So if we start having, you know, if it's a weekly event, all the technology gets turned off. There's, you know, there's no, you know, dad doesn't have any work meetings scheduled in. Absolutely not. It, it's not not an option. Everything gets turned off and it's just a meal together. And again, the conversation doesn't have to get intense. That's okay. That's great. It just becomes a context in which these things get dealt with, right. where, there's a, where there's a real intimate relationship between parents and children and there's an openness, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, you know, that comes into play. You know, think about it like prayer. Imagine if I only prayed when I'm really, really needy. I'd have a hard time relating to God. But most of the time when I pray, most of the time that I worship God, I don't have some, you know, some intense experience. It's just kind of like, I think of it like if a kid goes away to college and their parents say, call me once a week. If the kid doesn't call and doesn't call and doesn't call, and then they finally call when they need something, then there's all this tension. Like, how come you haven't called me in months? Even though the once a week phone call might be really, really small talk. It might just be, you know, how you doing? Fine. You know, you know, what you have for dinner and, you know, and, and nothing really to talk about. But the fact that you check in and you have that moment, it allows for a healthier ongoing relationship where when the communication has to happen in a meaningful way, there's, you know, there's an ongoing intimacy. And it's the same thing with a, you know, with a family unit. Mm-hmm. If, you know, having those meals together, even if you just shoot the breeze and make small talk and nothing meaningful or deep happens at the meal, it provides a context in which the parents and children have a real living social relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And then when push comes to shove and there's something really intense that has to be dealt with, there's a healthier family fabric. Right, right. And we were actually just talking about that same thing a couple of weeks ago of just Quality time means quantity on some level. You can't just make up quality time. (laughs) It's got to go hand in hand. 
this has been awesome. As always, I, I love talking to you and getting your insight on scripture and life. You have, you have some great things to share. And so I'll be linking, um, the cup of salvation, which is an awesome book on the Hillel Psalms and your podcast. And also the, um, the baseball rap. What's your other podcast title? The, the <laughs> baseball rabbi. <laughs> baseball rabbi, right? <laughs> and we'll make sure our, our listeners uh, can tune in there and, and hear yeah, more. If you have any baseball fan listeners who want to hear a rabbi talk about baseball, they can listen to that. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your travel and everything else. My pleasure. And, um, we'll see you next time you're in the states. I hope. Thank you. God bless you, Lisa. You too. Welcome to Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. This podcast is sponsored by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network and True North Homeschool Academy. True North Homeschool Academy offers K through 12th grade classes via live online instruction. Our classes are dynamic, interactive, affordable, and fun. This month, we're focusing on integrity on the podcast. Integrity really has to do with understanding and being true to the person you've been created to be. To come alongside you in this, we offer academic advising, which includes credit evaluation, transcript to date, a personalized learning plan based on your students' gifts, interests, and abilities. We'll help you problem solve the college debt crisis, creatively brainstorm career and scholarship possibilities and strategies that you can implement while your students are still in high school, give you curriculum and activity suggestions, and offer ongoing support. In addition to our advising program, We'll be offering a half-credit, one-semester orienteering course for 8th through 12th graders this fall, led by Cindy Brumbarger of Apprentice University. This course will help students identify the intersection of passions, interests, and the necessity of work. Students will explore the difference between work and career and how it fits into their personal pathway. Students will learn how they learn, as well as identify their strengths and weaknesses using a multitude of assessments. Students will identify spheres of possibilities instead of a single career or job. They'll leave the class with a personal pathway based on strengths, interests, passions, and giftings paired with real-world career exploration. Because taking a few tests or surveys and calling it college and career planning just leaves you standing alone and really wondering what happens next. Our academic advising program and our orienteering class is designed to give you the tools you need to strategize for success, however that may look. Today we're joined by our good friend, Rabbi Pesek Wilicki. Rabbi Pesek Wilicki serves as the Associate Director of the Center for Jewish Christian Understanding and Cooperation, CJCUC in Jerusalem. He's been a guest lecturer in churches, Christian colleges, and seminaries across the United States and Canada. He frequently speaks at events on behalf of Christians United for Israel. His columns and commentaries on the topic of Jewish-Christian relations appear regularly in Israel and Christian media, including Charisma News, Times of Israel, and BreakingIsraelNews.com. He recently published his first book, Cup of Salvation, a devotional commentary on Psalm 113 through 118. Prior to joining CJCUC, Rabbi Wilicki served for 12 years as Dean of Yeshivat Yeshodai HaTorah, a post-secondary academy of higher Torah learning just outside of Jerusalem. He is widely respected in the world of Jewish education as an innovator. He is known and appreciated for his engaging, welcoming, and interactive teaching style. He's a regular lecturer at the CJCUC Weekly Bible Study Programs in Jerusalem. Previously, Rabbi Willicke served as a communal rabbi in Fairfield, Connecticut, and Newport News, Virginia. 
Rabbi Walicki and his wife, Kate, live in Beth Shemet with their eight children. And we are really excited to have Rabbi Walicki on the show today. He is going to be talking about parenting and how we can have more integrity in our parenting approach with our kids. 